right at the top the intellectuals the politicians and the mainstream media there is a considerable silence there actually on this topic it's the folks in the middle who are trying to raise this as an issue and talk a lot but uh, you know we're still far away from being that influential to actually go and you know affect a, a change the concept behind providing free and compulsory education to all children across india sounds maybe a tad idealistic but noble perhaps on some level and yet 7 years after the right to education act has passed it continues to come under heavy criticism among educators and school establishments and even parents and general citizens alike and its deadlines continue to get postponed on today's episode of drishti talk i'm joined by hari prasad as we try and break down what rt is why it doesn't work what should happen next namaskar i'm chirag and it is wednesday december 13th hey prasad welcome to the show how are you doing hi chirag yeah i'm doing fine thank you for inviting me and uh... Now look forward to a good discussion. To to start with, let's talk a little bit about the act itself, right? The act was drafted in 2009 and eventually passed in 2010. The idea behind which was to provide free and compulsory education to all children between the ages of six and fourteen, which roughly translates to grade one to grade eight, it was looking at standardization of schools and teacher requirements. So things like facilities schools have to provide, certifications teachers have to go through. One of the hotly contested topics within the law was the allocation of a 25 percent quota, even for for schools that weren't aided by the government where uh, you know a government school was not easily accessible and so on the idea being that if there was a child from an economically weaker family um he would have a government quota even in a private school additionally there was a, a provision for no detention so any child between the age of 6 and 14 couldn't be held back even if he failed even at the outset i mean as we're talking about this law we can already start to see quite a few problems um i'll start with the no detention one uh, to me it seems uh, pretty weird that someone would even think about this because we've had multiple surveys and multiple studies that were done there was one done a couple of years ago where it clearly showed that uh, you know most kids uh, in in our schools were reading at half their levels so someone from grade 6 was reading at a grade 3 level and things like that there was a national achievement survey done in 2017 and honestly it painted a very very sad picture now you know I'll post a link to this in in our show notes as an example uh, you know children that passed out of grade 8 they were not able to pass 50% of the questions that a student of you know would would be able to do why would this have been done i mean it's a very strange uh, decision that they introduced uh, no detention uh, you know uh, in rt right but the one thing i want to highlight is in 2014 i think it was when they set up a committee to kind of review the uh, impact of no detention and and it was about 5 years and several batches of students had gone through that that report starts right at the outset by saying there's no evidence of you know no detention having harmful impact and then the remainder of the report goes on to document a whole lot of uh, available evidence about how uh, no detention uh, you know has proven to be false i mean we know that several state governments uh, for decades now uh, had a equivalent version of no detention and feedback from them to this committee was that you know it doesn't really work well and and in the report actually concludes by you know suggesting that there should be some form of uh, detention at least till grade 5 or 6 uh, something like that when they dug out all this evidence in 2014 becomes apparent is that these evidences these data were actually available in 2009 as well 
when they actually made the law. Now, one of the primary goals of uh, RTE is to improve the quality of the education. So you would actually assume that they would do their homework, do some groundwork and come up with uh, facets of the law, which actually facilitates improvement. Only thing I can think of, there seems to be some kind of social justice angle to this. Primary goal is to just ensure that the targeted segment of children just go through the classes. Just the sheer exposure to the school environment is going to place them at a better uh, level. Of course, uh, what didn't happen in framing of this law is the impact on other students, on the overall education system itself. And that's what is coming back to uh, bite us now. The most natural outcome of no detention is that the quality of education will fall because there's no pressure on the uh, teachers to uh, do a good job and ensure these kids actually qualify and there's no pressure on the kids, on the other hand, to you know study hard and actually qualify for uh, the next grade. I mean, you could have always had clauses which said if a particular kid uh, doesn't make the mark, then we have this plan B to push him or her up, uh, which is what I think they are now trying to introduce in 2017. But that's like a common sense solution, right? So you don't have to declare at the outset. And no matter what you do, you're just going to sail through till you know grade eight. So, uh, I mean, the effect of such a rule is uh, well known, and that's what has actually happened. Um, the unfortunate thing is about eight batches of students have at least you know got out, uh, you know via this system. The impact of uh, this on the country as a whole is you know we're going to pay a, pay a price for this drop in quality. Absolutely, part of the the national achievement survey that was conducted, the number of students who are able to answer fifty percent of the questions in their grade, correct? And in class three, it's 76% of them. And in class eight, it's 14. That's one, four. So we're not talking, okay, there's a slight dip of a couple percentage points. I want to sort of go back to one of the points you made, which was about the intent, right? Where the intention was perhaps, let's just get these kids through school. And and that is is shown in another area, which was one of the questions that was asked during a review of the initial drafting of the law was, what about pre-class one? Because you have you already have a divide here where there are kids who go through kindergarten and preschool. And then there are other kids who are not eligible, who are not able to go through that. But then they become eligible at, you know, at class one or at, at age six directly to class one, right? And so there's a divide between these schools. And what happens? Who's responsible for that? Because it's, it's the government that's taking the step to say, we will now fund the child as of age six. But the government's not providing to raise them to that same level. So it's a very important point you made, the fact that they made uh, grade one as the entry level for RTE. I think there's an option there, but really uh, grade one is where most uh, schools admit. I think what happens is many of the students coming in under the uh, 25% uh, category could actually have skipped the pre-KG stages. So the, the moment they enter grade one, there's already a significant gap between them and the other students. And then you bring in no detention on top of it. You know, there's no real measurement. And consequently, there's no real correction. So uh, whether you're really helping the 25% catch up with the other students and become, you know, uh, equally capable uh, citizens, at the end of it is, is really in doubt here, right? I mean, it's not serving the primary purpose. Even, even if someone were to argue with us that, yeah, but you know, eight years of no detention, student gets into school at the age of six. I won't know what he 
doing until he turns 14. That's crazy. And even if I do, it's not centralized. The data isn't centralized. So the school might know. We were talking about incentivizing schools. I mean, you're not even incentivizing the students to do something. We can, uh, we can have multiple debates about whether our examination system is worth it, whether our examination system or these learning outcomes actually evaluate the student. And we should have those. Debates. But the fact that we don't even have to do, we didn't have to do that is what's boggling. Absolutely. I mean, they'll have to answer this question, right? Okay, we prepare children, we, you know, we want to throw them out uh, into the open world uh, 15 years later. Uh, can they guarantee that uh, each of these students will get into a, a non-competitive segment of society and somehow lead their life? I mean, almost every institution out there where kids are going to go and enroll is a competitive market. It's a, comp- you know, it's a, it's, it's a competition out there. And, uh, you know, for such a, uh, you know, a cruel, you know, society cruel, I mean, to put it bluntly, are you going to prepare kids uh, by not even testing them? I mean, is that the right way? You're letting them have a good time for eight years. Um, where is he going to pick up the skill to uh, study, crack exams, crack problems, compete with others and, you know, uh, come out on top? That whole instinct is going to die. So in, in the monsoon session in 2017, August 2017, this aspect of the law has been modified, right? So now you actually can be detained. But they've, they've worked out some, you know, a little bit of a compromise. So what they're allowing... Uh, students to do now is that if they are not able to clear the examination and, and get through the next stage, they'll get a second pass at it, right? So they, they get a pass at, at trying to take that exam again rather than repeating the whole year. Uh, I think it's also a, a you know slab there. I think till the grade till grade five, uh, you still can't get uh, detained, and I think it's from six to eight that this uh, new uh, law comes in. And um, and yeah, right about the fact that they get a second chance, and and I think there's also a, there's also some responsibility on the teachers, and you know in that situation where they have to, uh, you know, train them additionally, take extra classes, and ensure basically that they before the RT era, I mean, in the system that we, I mean, all of us actually studied, we had something similar. I mean, kids would would, would fail tenth or twelfth exams, and there's always this. A concept of a supplementary exam for which you prepared and came back after a few months and attempted and got through. And that system was working, right? So they had these, uh, you know, instruments, uh, you know, at their disposal when they framed the law. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't even that they had to come up with something new. There is, there was a parallel system existing. I mean, it, it goes out even in universities, right? We have what they call the ATKD and stuff like. And just one point on this, there's one exception that uh, the committee took in 2014 saying, there's not a lot of you know material available which shows the impact of uh, no detention or detention that's actually not true at all even some cursory research that i have done has thrown up, thrown up a huge body of work uh, you know especially in, in north america i think some people have obtained phd's and done a lot of research on that as well there's tons of data which shows you know there may be certain societies where no detention works well certainly it's not a universal policy so, you know, uh, maybe we just didn't do enough work to get hold of that and study them, but it's definitely not true. Oh, absolutely. And I think, I mean, there, there is naturally a financial implication to that, right? So, uh, which, which I, you know, just to quantify it in a way to say, if the, if the government's going to pay for, you know, for someone to, to go through eight years of schooling, uh, this, the fact that there will be detention implies that they might have to do nine or 10 years. So there, there is an implication. But, you know, this is at the end of the day, this is about, yes, the, the country's future as a whole, but about a child's future. And so to me, I mean, it's, yes, I understand that there is a, you know, there's a question of taxpayer money, but if you're going to spend it on someone's education, then let's do it right the first time. Because for me, otherwise the eight years go down the drain, which is, which is nuts, right? It's, uh, 
as you correctly put it, I mean, it's a, the price that you would have to pay for these eight uh, batches of kids that have gone through this without detention or, or 14% of the kids or, or not even able to clear or just about able to clear 50% of, of what they should know in a certain grade. I mean, this has a huge financial implication as well. No, it has huge financial implication given where we are now. On the other hand, if, if the makers of RT were really confident about um, the theory which they put in into making this law, then they would have had to assume that uh, only a very small percentage of these uh, kids who come in via the reservation are going to actually get detained. And in that case, the burden wouldn't have to be so much at all. But on the other hand, already knew that, you know, for some reason, you know, a majority of these kids are going to suffer due to no detention. That, then it means there's fundamentally something wrong with the, uh, you know, with their approach itself. So, uh, I mean, uh, so on one hand, they wanted to push some law and it looks like, you know, they themselves were not confident about shape that it will actually take. I'm just going to touch quickly on it, but the teacher certification, right? Here again, there is there is this, this same kind of discrepancy that comes through, which is they were supposedly confident when they drafted the law that it would take them three years to get all the teachers certified according to a new standard. And yet here we are seven and touching eight years later, where we have just gotten another extension of a year for the certification. So we're failing even here. I mean, we still do not have our teachers certified, which means again, back to the same story, which is eight batches of kids have gone through with uncertified teachers. Absolutely. And, and fundamentally making an assumption that uh, you can get over a problem by imposing a restriction, I think is, uh, is flawed, especially uh, if it is physically uh, impossible. Uh, the reason I say is, um, you know, there was one very interesting tweet uh, immediately after the amendment uh, that was brought in. And, and uh, you know, I have, not, I have not done the mathematics behind it. But apparently, if those teachers who have not started the program at all, if they have not made a beginning as of uh, the date of the amendment, then they will never be able to complete the program uh, even, I mean, with the new deadline as well. So it's bound to fail. So you brought in an amendment and, and gave some 2019 deadline, knowing very well that the, the target segment of teachers for whom you made that, uh, you know, facilitated and brought in that amendment actually can't get through, you know, because of a physical limitation. I mean, it's a three-year program or something, if I recall correctly, and the extension is not that much. So, so very little thinking has gone behind each aspect of RT, I would say. Initially, if it was going to take three years to get all the teachers certified, and that didn't happen, it's now more than double that time because it's now touching eight years. And the problem is that you are not going to disqualify them, are you? Because we have an education problem. We we need the teachers. So you're is going to be, okay, let's extend it that much further and further. And then this becomes an, an endless problem. I mean, I think there's a there's a, another reason over here, right? Out, out of all the sensitive aspects uh, of a school, uh, if you impose a hard restriction and, and some uh, punitive measures on, on teachers, I think schools who are compliant with RT are going to see some dra- you know dramatic changes. Erosion of the teachers, they just walk, walking away across to the you know, the minority schools and uh, those those schools who don't have to comply with RT and all. And probably they expected that backlash. Otherwise, if you look at every other section of RT, you know, punitive measures are just, you know, seamlessly built in. You know, you don't comply with RT, the school gets a closure notice, you uh, screen a student, uh, there's a 50,000 fine for the first time. So they probably anticipated it. But but also, you know, calculated the the, the repercussions of putting some punitive measures there. And when you don't do that, I mean, yeah, these deadlines are just artificial. 
uh, deadlines right yeah and and again the the same story again with the financial implications of all of this stuff look at that school i mean even though they were a small percentage but look at those schools that complied in the first 3 years and went through and and put in the money and so on who's going to pay for that difference right it's going to be the the, the kids right the the, the parents because they have to they have to rationalize that cost of course i'm talking in a hypothetical but you've got a school on one side of the street where everybody's compliant and they've gone through all the certification everything and then you've got a school directly across the street where let's say 10% of the teachers are certified and they're both operating as compliant because the deadline just keeps getting extended so you're actually indirectly you know setting yourself up as you said for failure because everybody thinks hey, you know you're not going to do anything to the teachers we'll just, this will just keep going up it's a it's a tough problem to handle actually uh, out of all the issues i think the teacher the uh, qualification compliance is a, a tricky one because uh, i mean here we need to bring in the uh, minority schools angle right so there's an opportunity out there for teachers to get away from all this because i mean perhaps some of these uh, minority schools have their own internal training program or certification program and you know i know that there are some basic qualifications that are required and i'm not talking about that but in terms of these additional certifications that are required if you have a bunch of schools if you have a segment where that is not required and you are being pressurized there's a very good chance that uh, you know many of these people will hop let, let, let's let's get into that right because i think this is one of the the biggest angles uh, when we're talking about rt anyway so yeah so just one point i wanted to make on all these intricacies or the you know, the sections of rt that we just touched if you just get back a little bit and look at a, at a higher level it's a very strange law uh, rt in terms of uh, what it actually does this is what it actually should do so uh, when when rte came in the goal was clear too many out of school kids who need who need to be brought into the system educated and you know they start contributing that's goal number 1 and no there's no dispute about it so then the government also decided that the existing government infrastructure is not sufficient so they explicitly coded it via the 93rd amendment and the actual rte act that private schools also will come in I and mean, i have written a little bit about it where there's a, there was a huge debate uh, during the uh, creation of article 21a itself uh, about whether private schools should be kept out whatever it is finally they decided private schools you know also need to be brought in um, you know government infrastructure is not enough but we also know at that point in time when rte came in right private schools have a certain capacity simplified they, they can handle 1000 kids let's say but now the government comes in and says you know i have got this list of 250 additional kids who you need to absorb so basically the capacity of the private schools had to go has to go up now if you apply the basic rules of economy it would say any segment any sector you want you want it to grow you need to incentivize it you know you need to facilitate growth so i mean software industry for example i think we are in touch with that right? there are all these uh, cc's and zones and tax breaks and what not and we see that the segment the sector has grown similarly in agriculture i mean different kind of a problem but there's support in terms of there's waivers and there are other schemes uh, you know easy loans and so on basically because you want that sector to grow so if you want the private school sector to grow you would have had to incentivize it right you brought in rte at the same time and all it's got is you know restrictions rules punitive measures threats i mean it's the exact opposite of what you want you know if you require the private sector to actually grow and contribute to your goal that uh, the government talks about yeah and let me let me add to that a little bit as well forget incentivizing it's actually gone you know like five steps in reverse because not only was the law set up and this quota set up and so on 
but the determination of the reimbursement of this quota is based on government schools and not the private schools costs so you actually went backwards because not only did you not incentivize it but you actually are now making the remaining 75% of those children pay for those 25% in addition to the tax payer money right because as an example, I mean, I was looking up figures that there's this little bit of a protest happened, for example, in Maharashtra, where uh, one of the complaints that they have is that they're not getting reimbursed. Uh, same thing is going on in Karnataka right now as well. And and the average estimate of the reimbursement is 14,000 rupees per kid for the year. Yes, sure, in a, in a government school, that might be the cost. But we all know that's not the cost of getting a kid through primary school, like for the school itself. I mean, it's a private school, right? They will have, they, they look at a PNL, right? They, they are trying to make sure that they don't lose money. And so who's going to pay that difference, right? And it's getting distributed across the remaining 750. I mean, there are multiple layers of problems there, right? First of all, the way they calculate it, they, they normalize it over the entire district itself is absurd. Making a blanket assumption that every single private school in that district actually bear the same expense. Problem number two. And the problem number three is the biggest problem. And, you know, you do all these calculations and all that and yet don't pay. And, and now to capital, the cherry, so to say, is this... Uh, uh, trend with the, the fee regulation acts coming up in all these states. So, you know, okay, we are not going to pay you. Uh, we know you are suffering, but then, hey, you, you might go and take that money from the other 75%. So we're going to ensure you can't do that. And it's ridiculous, actually. It's it's getting out of hand. And we're not even touching on the learning outcomes and the effect it's having on the education of the kids. But we're talking about the fact that this indirectly leads to bigger problems for the schools. Because again, this is just one aspect. This is just the fact that there's a quota for for the kids in these schools. But let's not forget that there are severe facility and other restrictions for the schools as well. There are teacher-pupil ratios that they have to maintain, uh, facility sizes they have to maintain. Yeah, playgrounds. I, I think some states, for example, have rules uh, even on the uh, minimum number of books that you need to have in your library, size of the playground and whatnot. I mean, if you're going to be so uh, strict about um, how a school should operate, Again, they are normalizing, right? This is like for the entire state, every single school, irrespective of whether it's in the city center or on the top of a hill, have got to comply with each and every one of these restrictions. Uh, it's just not going to work out. I mean, the schools will definitely start shutting down and, and we are already seeing that. Yeah, uh, and, and, and we're talking, and, and what we've been discussing just now is schools shutting down because it's it, they've made it extremely difficult. But that, that's, that doesn't even count. Then there's the next step of schools that are getting shut down, which are getting shut down because they're not complying. Because there is no clear estimate on how many schools have been shut down. I mean, a lot of people have thrown a lot of numbers around. And there, was a, there was a piece of news that came out a couple of months ago that uh, you know some 800 schools in Punjab were served closure notices. There was a significantly larger number uh, of closure notices served in Maharashtra. This data came from uh, an agency called the National Independence Schools Alliance. Some 7,000 schools in Maharashtra last year reported getting closure notices, right? And and let's assume that these numbers might be exaggerated. Even if that's the case, the fact that hundreds of schools are getting closure notices, the number of schools are going down drastically year on year. Absolutely. So uh, two points here, right? First of all, I think uh, there are many uh, numbers that are coming out of uh, official sources. So I, I have at least personally seen some documents from the Delhi government and uh, some from Punjab. Uh, you know, there was a statement made on the uh, floor of Lok Sabha, Priti Irani, when she was MHRD. She actually confirm that there are that there are uh, school closures happening because of uh, non-compliance of RTE. So, you know, once that is in place, I think um, you know, this whole talk about exaggeration and more number, I mean, so what if uh, there's, there's some problem with the 
uh, actual uh, statistics. The fact is many, many schools, hundreds and hundreds of schools are closing down. The second point I want to make here is we can only measure either with error or accurately the number of schools that are closing down. What we cannot measure is the uh, effect of these regulations and restrictions in discouraging new schools from starting, right? And I think that's the bigger impact, right? I mean, our population is growing. We've brought this new reservation policy in because of which suddenly you have an influx of, uh, you know, students who, you know, have the opportunity to study. Then you made private education, private schools are part of it. And you're so thoroughly discouraging new schools from coming up. How are we going to measure that cost? So that I think is the bigger impact of what RTE is doing. There was a, a, a study or an article that came out a few months ago implying that the enrollment in government schools in Uttar Pradesh is going down, but enrollment in private schools is going up. You are actually seeing an outflow from public education schools because they are either getting shut down, they're not meeting requirements. And then there is the whole minority school angle. We have an article in our constitution that outright says any minority has every right guaranteed to them by the constitution to pursue establish and administer educational institutions of their choice correct that's something that can be debated by itself another exactly and and when rt came about with all of these restrictions and different qualifications and everything that we've been discussing one of the first debates that came about almost instantly is what you've done is in conflict with this provision and therefore you can't impose these whatever these conditions are whether it's on teachers whether it's on facilities whether it's on the quota right and so now you've got this brilliant divide where you have schools that are shutting down and restrictions that are being imposed and all of the harmful effects, but only applying to one kind of school and not, and not applied anywhere else. Absolutely. And this tussle has been going on since RT was implemented. But what's worse about this to me is multiple court judgments that are conflicting with each other and how they should interpret this. Now, I'll just do an overview, but you had the Supreme Court coming out and saying in 2014 that minority schools will be kept out because of this provision in the Constitution. And the quota requirement for the economically equal sections cannot apply to them. Uh, in 2016, uh, a Kerala High Court came out and said, okay, all that other stuff is fine, but there's no detention policy. Let's have it across every school, whether or not they're in RTE or not. And in between court came out and said, no, 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 we got to apply it, you know, across everybody. And in 2017, so earlier this year, uh, Karnataka High Court stayed that order saying that, okay, as of right now, minority schools are not obligated, right? So even the courts have not put their foot down in terms of saying, okay, this is how we're going to take it and let's move on this way and then deal with it. No, that will happen actually. Uh, I agree with what you're saying in terms of what's actually happening, but the end result is uh, pretty well known. So first of all, this whole big divide, right, where in terms of applicability is not at all an accident or, or a side effect. It was ab- absolutely crafted to be this way. It was by design. So I've written a number of articles on this and you know I have no doubt left that uh, this was always intended to be like this. First thing. The second thing is education. It's a concurrent subject for the constitution. It's there on the, the state government's table as well as the central government's table. Um, the, the way the concurrent subjects work, if there is an overarching law made by the center, you know, which is not really in direct conflict with uh, you know anything particular to a state, then in, in, whenever there is a you know mismatch between the central law and the state law, the central law takes precedence. Keeping that in mind, you should re, you know one should review RTE. The intention was always to uh, introduce the 25% reserve to help the kids, but when the law came in, there were probably like 30 odd sections out there covering every single aspect of primary education. 
the effect of that is almost every uh, state government law that existed at that point in time gets obliterated right so we are in this transition phase in my opinion where some of these state governments are trying to you know fight out some of these court battles by quoting their respective state laws but as the cases come up and eventually if it goes against the minority institutions it will definitely get to the sc and then there's only one way of interpreting things i mean rte is the law that is supposed to take effect does rte cover it or not answer is yes for most of the uh, you know topics and then once the answer is yes then what's stated in the rte has to take a, you know a precedence sure we'll we'll get through these few years of uh, some of these court battles in the state high courts but i think the final decision in the supreme court uh, we already know assuming uh, you know rte uh, stays the way it is yeah and i think i mean at least in terms of the opinion the supreme court has given although it dates back now to 2014 is that the supreme court interprets it as no they are exempt yeah and a very interesting interpretation right so the genesis of 2014 judgment is in the 2012 uh, rajasthan unaided schools judgment so there uh, the uh, court again quoted some of these uh, severability principles and said uh, hey we know rte consists of these uh, 30 odd sections covering various aspects but we feel that uh, those sections are not uh, severable you know we can't break it down into chunks and uh, segregate them and say hey 10 of these are easily applicable to minority schools and the remaining only to majority schools and so on therefore there's only one way we can treat it which is to exempt Uh, minority schools from rte and then the 2014 judgment just added a little bit to it it qualified it 2012 said um, rte will be applicable to aided private you know minority schools and then the 2014 pramathi judgment said uh, nothing doing from an article 30 point of view there is really no distinction between an aided and unaided uh, institution so we agree with the severability analysis done by the 2012 judgment so they got the complete exemption now i think the, the the whole crux of the matter is in uh, this section of the discussion right the article 30 and exemption uh, in my opinion you know to borrow rc majumdar's word i actually consider rte as a lawless law you know given this uh, unfair ap- applicability it's not even a proper law right the entire discussion that we had about the various uh, sections of rte and you know how they are good or bad i mean it's all fine but then we are talking about something that doesn't qualify to be a proper law in my opinion the second part of the discussion that we are having i think that is the real problem with rte that we need to solve first and and then of course there are implementation issues if there are um issues about which sections need to be crafted which way the real education experts can step in there and then you know we have these experts from the other segment also coming in you know it becomes applicable to them we share the problems you know find better solutions uh, but then now it's a problem for for one segment of the society only yeah absolutely in fact yes we we had to discuss some of the specifics of the law but uh, when it comes to any law for that matter and i think this is something that i've had multiple discussions over lots of other laws as well with different people is that we have to look at laws from an equality perspective right it has to apply to all citizens as it is sure when when we look at things like economically weaker sections and of course we've got the issue of reservations and other things in the country as a whole and and again each of them deserve perhaps their own debate but when we're implementing new laws or when we're evaluating a law we get it from that perspective to say okay let's apply this law to everybody and then let's see if there needs to be an exception fundamental flaw with rte is that it applies just to one segment of the population uh, aggressively 
not only is there a deviation of teachers out of the schools, but there's deviation of the students out of the schools, the parents preferring to do this. So we've basically nationalized one segment of private schools. I mean, imagine, right, when we nationalize banks, if, if we declared that, uh, you know, we're going to nationalize all those banks which have been started by, you know, uh, people belonging to one particular religion. I mean, how ridiculous would that have appeared? The situation is the same here. 99% of the schools which would qualify for RTE are secular schools. They teach, um, you know, science, maths, languages, and things that lay the foundation for us to get higher education to, to make a living. So that being the case, exempting certain schools just because, you know, the founders belong to a particular religion and then applying it to other schools just because uh, they're from uh, you know uh, the hindu religion is completely uh, inexplicable right so weird way of um, applying law you know we, we were talking about the implication someone who's not an educator would see why this was an issue right for sake of giving somebody a benefit of doubt to say oh he couldn't have envisaged this right like just just let's assume that for a second it's been eight years now ample data to correlate the fact that there is an issue. Why is nobody going back and saying, wow, there are some big flaws here? In uh, the last parliamentary session, a member of parliament by the name of Mahesh Giri put in a private member bill saying, let's just legislate and get all the schools to follow the law, right? A law should, the law should apply to everybody. Forget the statistics of the fact that, you know, it's not even, I think there's a, it's, it's in single digits, the, the percentage of private member bills that actually get debated, discussed to the point where actually some something might come out of it. Uh, but this is a private member. It isn't even, uh, you know, an education committee's bill. It isn't the HRD ministry's evaluation or anything. This is not to take away from the Mahesh Giri. It's not even something that, that seems mainstream enough. Yeah, we don't even know if it's officially sanctioned by the uh, ruling party, first of all. I think we already know what's going to happen to the bill because there's a little bit of a misunderstanding there. It was actually not introduced uh, in 2017 in the, in the monsoon session. Uh, it was actually introduced in 2016 itself. We just got to know it because of uh, social media and, and tweets by Mahesh Giri himself. So it's already gone through three, four um, parliament sessions. It's not probably not going to uh, come up at all. But one interesting thing is people on the uh, you know ruling party side are also starting to recognize this. I mean, we can see it as an indicator of that. And there was another uh, MP from the ruling party who has introduced amendment suggested is an amendment to Article 30 itself. Make the rights uh, equally available to all communities. Yeah, so that kind of uh, work has happened, but it's not going to bear any fruit. Uh, that's the unfortunate part of it. Something like this, considering we are eight years into this law. Eight years, I mean, it's true that RT is here since eight years, and but the real hope was from uh, 2014 onwards, you know, for obvious reasons. You know, RT is actually a, a manifestation of Article 15.5 brought in by amend uh, the 93rd Amendment which happened in 2005. And the fact is uh, the exemption given to minorities under that clause, right, was vehemently opposed by BJP. They not only debated against it, they voted against it. So okay to assume that uh, 2014 onwards, they would do something about it. And yet when you have the mandate of the people, uh, forget actually maneuvering this act in, in both houses of the parliament and getting it through. There's not even proper discussion. There's not even an initiation into discussion, right? There could be a fear that this is an anti-minority move. I mean, that can be taken care of by open and frank discussion saying all we want to do is make it equally applicable to everybody. So uh, the, the only thing we can think of is, uh, you know, deliberately discussion on this is being avoided. For what reason? I don't know. We may need another session to discuss that. Problems within the RTE Act itself, the, the excuse being given is this new education policy 
which is in the works forever and you know committee after committee and uh, you know new there's a new committee that's going to come up now and apparently early next year we'll have the uh, draft so if you say oh what about the final uh, shape of no detention what about fees what about learning outcomes uh, you know mhrd can say hey uh, just can you just wait for nep but on this aspect uh, you know this silence is totally unacceptable and we are talking today about something in the future and mind you that that's going to be a draft as of today we don't even know if this is going to address some problems not address it we don't know what smriti rani when she was hrd minister had had given a very detailed account about the different initiatives that would that have they have been testing in certain public yeah. schools in certain states uh, you know about student databases and teacher certification databases and but two years hence we are still talking about the draft of the national education policy so for me this is okay cool when it comes out we'll i'm i'm absolutely going to do a podcast and i'm absolutely going to debate it and all of that but as of now we're talking a couple of years out policy like an education policy which as we have just discussed is on a concurrent list and therefore requires uh, public opinion but also requires state input and and all of this stuff i mean we should remember finally that this is actually the nep is is the uh, output is going to be the output of a committee it's not the output of parliament just a recommendation in the whole process of accepting either whole of it or parts of it and making it into a bill and then getting it passed through both houses of parliament notifying it state governments making rules and then you know you got to time it with the beginning of an academic year i mean <laughs> i mean even if things go at phase i think they're talking several years away and again as we just discussed we don't know what its implications yet will be on rte yeah i mean the other puzzle here right we had the tsr subramaniam committee report out 2016 itself the government has not offered any clear explanation on why that has been junk i mean some really vague statements have been given by the current minister you know saying there was opposition to some sections of the report I mean if that's the case those sections of the report could have been dropped right and and the general measure which was acceptable to everybody could have been implemented we lost two years without even a proper explanation on why we lost two years So we've kind of touched on this a little bit but uh, let me just get your your thoughts on you know what's next we know that one of the primary issues is the quality of the law while there may be some initial debate about the fact that uh, at least some people identify this as a problem well, what what's next because one of the issues that i see as well is that in a lot of discussions that are happening about rt and they're happening at a citizen level right like people like you and me were who identify that there's an issue and still don't have a, a concrete solution uh, because obviously any and at the end of the day it's a law and the law has to go through parliament and debate and discussion i mean <laughs> what's next uh, it would be more of a wish list from my side uh, rather than a concrete plan i would say because i don't know if any of this would get done but i think there are at least two or three main things that definitely needs to happen uh, rt in its current avatar current shape has to go absolutely has to go it's doing more damage uh, as we now have uh, more and more data uh, prior to rt uh, it, it was primarily with the states so they have a ton of experience on how to run these educational institutions so in the interim uh, it's not going to be that difficult for the state governments to actually you know formulate a policy secondly the the anomalies with uh, article 30 and and the creation of bodies like the, the national Com- you know commission for minority educational institutions ncmei that's like a central body uh, which has complete authority Uh, on all matters related to minority institutions so it's basically the executing um, uh, you know instrument for article 30 you know uh, that's the execution wing of of article 30 you know very strangely only minorities can run it only minorities can be on that body 
even though the schools and colleges and other institutions they run has you know probably in almost all cases more non minority students more non minority staff more non minority teachers if there is an equivalent majority uh, institution it has to go through the grind of tons of uh, rules and regulations at the state government and central government level with some equivalent minority institution it just goes to ncmi and um, gets all its uh, issues sorted so there's some blatant discrimination there as well in my opinion that goes with the article 30 package you know if you can call it that make it equally applicable for all and then we are left with only the problem of how to make rules for uh, you know running these institutions correctly right and then everybody can contribute to it uh, the third thing is yeah i mean we need to get the right set of education experts and and come up with uh, maybe the you know version 2 of rte i mean there's nothing wrong as long as it's a proper law it's applicable to all sure there are like really good experts uh, out there who can contribute which uh, in my opinion you know has to incentivize the education sector more but also put a sufficient number of checks and balances we've done that with various other industries and segments right so i'm sure we can do the same with the education sector as well and there has been some emphasis on this right in terms of learning outcomes and there were some amendments made to rte and for me this is this is where the confusion is right you you see a little step here a little step there which implies that yeah we understand that education's an issue and and you know we're adjusting the preparation of learning outcomes so again whatever be the reason why they were not happy with a committee we've constituted a new committee which happened a few months ago for drafting the the, the nep and they gave them i think a six month deadline because the first draft is is expected now and so th- there are these little a step here and a step there and yet somehow it's as you correctly said somehow this topic as a whole it just gets avoided or just let's not talk about it oh absolutely uh, on the real critical issue there is absolute silence i think there is a complicit you know acceptance uh, from both sides uh, of the you know political spectrum uh, that needs to go i mean that's just a wish again in you know in terms of this tinkering uh, two things at least uh, stand out right uh, referring to your point about learning outcomes for example Uh, one is it's almost always reactive you now they see a problem the problem is going out of hand hey we've got no option but to try and do something about it the second part here is even when we decide to do something about it in spite of previous uh, known failures we will still refuse to base it on empirical evidence base it on facts base it on data we're just going to consult few quote unquote experts i i actually think there's the same set of experts roaming around in all the ministries and <laughs> giving opinions in one form so learning outcomes i mean i have been thinking about this right it's it's a very strange approach they have taken the the premise of the state has been that people who are coming in through the reservations who are coming in through support to be treated a little differently so they can't be held to the same standards so you have either grace marks or reservation or you know uh, under under a policy which which uh, seems to recognize that um, they need additional support because of the historical background i mean it probably takes several generations for them to catch up that's a theory okay fine let's look at how it works but then you have this class 1 to class 8 where the where folks from the kids from the same segment of society are being pushed in and yet in learning outcomes there's absolutely no difference between how you'll measure uh, the 25% versus the 75%. So what what really happened to your theory then? You know, how come it needed uh, when they've gone through 15 years of uh, schooling and, and and college? I think the amount of thinking that's being put into making these policies itself, you know, is it's very deficient. And they they're not looking at uh, the available data, they're not looking at results that they have achieved. I mean, we are seven decades now, right? India is 70 years old. We have tons of data on how we have fared. No, you were talking about like the states having run institutions and 
and and therefore having so has the center right i mean the center has and can commands a number of national universities smriti rani who who was who was very clearly saying that uh, especially uh, and i have to recall the exact states but uh, i know she mentioned jharkhand i think and they were running a lot of these uh, trial programs about new coursework and 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 look and measuring um, you know where the student was uh, compared to everybody else in 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 a slightly non traditional way to be able to assess you know learning outcomes are, you know it's it's a bit of a buzzword but try and assess a student not just on 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 subjects alone but also on extracurriculars and and other activities and and try to build a wholesome course program right how much time are we going to wait until all of this stuff gets goes through the system and 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 gets bigger we already have the inputs right and it's not a case of where there is an issue implementing things at a state level anymore because we've got you know there are big states that are talking well with the center and working well with the center there there is just so much potential and again we come back to the same thing which is it almost feels like you know this is just an area that they want to avoid this is not to say that everything has to be a priority on 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 a certain day right we also understand that all of these things that there's a little bit of a compromise that has to happen but but education such a key area it is the number one ministry right no doubt it's the number one segment it's the most critical segment for any society for any country i mean we we wouldn't relax for one minute uh, about our country's defense right no matter what the situation is so it's the same here education is like the, yeah, it's a building block for generations to come as well one right? point i would like to add here i mean just because we're talking about these new you know uh, repair work being done and you know new laws being attempted again one striking uh, feature of law making you would see is uh there's because of the lack of use of data and empirical evidence they never qualify the problem correctly so even with rte for example if you look at the uh, from the pre rte era the enrollment rates were in the high uh, 80s in terms of percentages and consistently growing maybe a little slow uh you know to our dislike but but they were growing so what was the real problem we were trying to solve by bringing in this 25% um, you know uh, slab and and similarly with learning outcomes right they were at least not as bad as they are now i mean there's like a steep decline prior to rte there was like a slow increase or a steady increase the non reliance on such data means uh, you will never set proper goals for what these new rules should apply i mean ideally you would have said hey uh, learning outcome shows a 50% uh, success rate right now i'm going to bring in some new rules and you know eight or 10 years later i i need to be looking at 70% that's the most common sense approach of making laws i have uh, enrollment rates in 85 to 90 percentage range i need to see it go up to 98 or 99 in 10 years there's not a single slab that's established like this for any of our laws especially for rt we can't quantify it because there nothing was quantified to begin with we do have some reports now i mean the acer reports and the other report that you just referred to the only thing they are establishing is that these i mean rt is an anti pattern not like we are saying right every single aspect is actually aggravating the problem so at least that much we are pretty sure and then you have all these disparities that exist because of it so there is no standardization of education you cannot expect to get a certain level of education in your schools because some schools apply some schools it doesn't apply some schools have the facility some schools don't we're supposed to standardize it and there's supposed to be a law to do that but it doesn't apply to everybody you made a point about these alerts and the news that you follow right so you know i'll i'll give you one small hint here you subscribe to a few rte and related alerts and then check what percentage of them talking about some court case or some fight or battle 
the point is if somebody is genuinely interested in education as as a segment and you know is hoping he can start a school or a college and he is definitely going to decide he will not enter it that's the biggest problem and then on top of it you bring in this other aspect saying all these are applicable only for you know the majority not for the minority you know you're you're clearly putting competitive restrictions on one segment of the society and you're actively discouraging them from opening schools and the real need of the nation is for more and more schools to be open more and more quality schools to be open it's it's simply baffling how you know such an approach has been taken and such an approach has been allowed to continue i know in in my interactions with numerous people uh, over the last few years the people are enlisting themselves in minority schools because that's the only way they can open them right because they don't have to go through the restrictions and the and the bureaucracy and the red tape and everything else because you just exempt yeah we can always talk about uh, debate about the rate at which this is happening and you know whether it's happening everywhere or not i mean all that we can discuss so the fact of the matter is you know this is based on sound you know competitive market theory in a non zero sum game if you are going to place restrictions on one of the players the whole equation is going to shift towards the other player and that's exactly what is happening here hey prasad thank you so much uh, for for speaking to us and 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 sharing your thoughts i think uh, as you said you know we've raised some big issues and then there are other <laughs> extended issues in in the field of education which definitely deserve their own discussions and and so on so hopefully we'll, we'll keep doing that if you could share with us your your twitter in case anybody wants to uh, reach out to you follow you and, and first of all thank you rag for this wonderful opportunity to talk about a favorite subject of mine i hope uh, made little sense at least and on twitter i am you know my id is prana sutra p r a n a s u t r a we could to connect with the you know some of the listeners of this talk and hopefully we can discuss more